This episode is brought to you by Big Box VR, the makers of Smashbox Arena, one of the hottest competitive multiplayer games out for VR right now, and personally one of my favorites. Smashbox Arena will be headlining a VR esports exhibition match at the upcoming Dota 2 Zotac Cup Masters. Zotac, HTC Vive, ESL, and Big Box VR are creating the world's first VR invitational with the gold standard of esports production and global live stream on Twitch. Four of the top Smashbox Arena players from around the world will be meeting up to duke it out using the Zotac VR Go wireless backpack PCs. For more information and to watch it live online on June 3rd, go to twitch.tv backslash Zotac underscore cup. Again, that's twitch.tv backslash Z-O-T-A-C underscore cup. What's going on, guys? Zane here with Everything Vive. I want to welcome you back for another episode. So I know we're supposed to be sharing our news and game talk episode with you as per our normal schedule, but... We did an interview very recently that we wanted to share with you as soon as humanly possible. And that's because that interview was with Daniel O'Brien, the GM, general manager of HCC Vive. And as you'll hear in the interview, Daniel is probably the primary reason that we all have an HCC Vive sitting in our homes today. We do a deep dive into the history of the Vive, starting with the partnership between HTC and Valve, going to GDC of 2015 and what that experience was like, and of course, looking to the future to see what HTC Vive has coming down the road. We're super excited to be sharing this with you guys, and we really do hope you enjoy. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Daniel, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for, for taking the time out. We, uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, Ronnie will be joining us shortly, but uh, how's your day going? Uh, my day's going great. Uh, we actually had some announcements today with uh, our partner Google, and uh, it's busy. Uh, we're, we're plowing forward with a lot of things on the, the overall Vive family and products, and so we're, we're, we're nonstop all the time. Awesome. Well, we will. Uh, we we can we can jump into that a little bit later. For now, though, I I want to set the uh, set the the mood a little bit here and give you a little backstory about where I'm coming from. So, I want to say, well, a, a year ago, I know the Vive had just launched, and I had no idea anything about VR. Ronnie has been following VR for a while, so he. It wasn't until maybe August of last year that he calls me over to his place. And asks, uh, you know, he says, uh, "Hey, I got this new VR thing. I want you to check out. It's pretty cool." And to me, I'm thinking, you know, I tried Google Cardboard and uh, some other different VR things, and I was like, "Okay, whatever." <laughs> Ronnie's inviting me over. Let me go see what what he's got going on. Lo and behold, first time I had run into the Vive, and mind was blown. I I think I played the Blue, the Lab. Uh, raw data, some of the other bigger titles that were out then. And he was having a blast showing me. He had, he had to kick me out because his wife and kid were <laughs> ready to go to bed because I was there just wanting to play the entire night. And so I, I guess to start this off, um, you are the general manager for HCC Vive, but I, I want to know what is your, what was the moment that sold you on VR? Uh, if, if you can recall exactly what it is, I'm sure you've had many, many moments that have kind of blown, blown you away being uh, as close to the development as, as you are, but if you can remember maybe the first time you were, you were absolutely sold on VR and said, I got it, you know, this is, this is awesome. And I, yeah, if you can share that experience with us. Yeah, you know, I think it was back in like April, 2014, 
and um, you know Peter Chow was our CEO at the time, and um, I was phasing off of a um, of a software security project that I had been working on um, with engineering for about a year. And um, Peter called me and said, "Hey Dan, I really want you to go. Um, I, I, you know, I have this partnership that I'm working on and I'm doing, and uh, with uh, you know a company called Valve, and they're right down the street in Bellevue. Um, you know, we, you know, our labs have been working on some VR stuff and AR stuff, and we'd love. I want you to go over and see this. And so I went over to the Valve office and I did the." Um, you know, the, the fiducial marker room, you know, that had the, uh, it had room scale tracking, you know, with a camera on the front and it had the markers all over the wall. And I walked in there and I was like, okay, I don't know what this is, but, uh, I'm going to go check it out. And, um, you know, I did this demo and, uh, right there I kind of said, wow, you know, because at that moment they, they made me feel really, really small. And I realized very, very quickly how comfortable I was. And, what kind of scale I could show in my mind immediately just started racing of like the things that we could do with it. Um, and I had been a, you know, a product guy for, I don't know, 15 plus years, um, and, uh, making smartphones, doing new technology. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of the first, you know, technology products, and, um, you know, I came back from the demo or while I was at the demo, I took the head headset off and I was like, all right, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make it. <laughs> and, um, uh, I was like, and it can't look like this, you know? And they just started looking at me like, what, what do you mean? And, uh, cause I'm looking at a glued together prototype and I just like started going crazy with, okay, well, this is what we have to do. And we have to do this. And we, we need, you know, the first thing I did when I did that demo was stick my hands out. And I was like, wait, I need my hands. I got, I got to be able to in, interact with things. And, um, so I came back and I talked to Peter and I said, I'm absolutely going to do this. And I, I cannot wait to get moving on this project. I cannot wait to lead the VR team and uh, get going. And um, so he was very excited that I was excited. And uh, it all kind of just took off from there very, very fast. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, in, in all honesty, it's the, the first time in VR. I feel like that experience is it's very easy to get super excited about. Do, do you remember exactly what the demo was or did, did it ever end up turning into something or being like an Easter egg in the lab? Or uh, I'm just curious what exactly, um, more, more what the experience was. Yeah, I figured what Valve actually called that demo. Um, but it was their very first like positional tracked room scale demo. And it was a series of different experiences where you could, um, you know, you were in a room full of pipes and you could kind of look at this very extended view and then you were kind of at the edge of the a cliff and you could like look all the way down. And if you had, you know, severe um, height uh, fears, you would, um, you would actually be very, very scared. I, I was fortunate not to have a fear of heights. And, um, you know, there was one, there was, I remember there was a huge robot in the room and some people found this very daunting but I immediately took my head and put it right into the robot to see all the gears working on the inside. And, um, so I was, I could feel those moments where I should have fear and I did have a little bit of fear or that emotional attachment to the, the uh, content and the experience. But I immediately, my mind just started going into engineering mode of like, okay, we're going to change education. We're going to change medical. We're going to change gaming. We're going to change all of it. 
cow, we're going to change everything. And so, um, and then I remember one of the other demos where yeah, I was in the demo was I was in the room that I was in and I had to go over to the wall and flip the light switch and I flipped the light switch and they were like, you know, telling me how accurate that was. And I immediately looked at that and said, well, I hope we don't show John Stewart on the daily show that we can flip the light switch in VR. That's actually there in the room that we're in. Cause I'm pretty <laughs> He's going to make fun of us, but it was really the science. <laughs> it was really the science behind it that was amazing. The accuracy levels of what you could do from an input standpoint and interaction standpoint, and and do it so comfortably. I, you know, I took the headset off. Zero nausea, zero um, latency effects. I just felt fine, and I was like, okay, I've tried some VR. It's all been bad. That was amazing. Gotcha. Okay, just just really quickly, want to uh, introduce Ronnie here. He just got in. Ronnie, how's it going, man? I'm doing well. How how's how are you guys doing? Good. Hey, Ronnie. It's Dan. <laughs> Hi, Dan. How are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm doing well. Doing well. How about you? Doing yeah, good? not too bad. It was a it was a pretty busy day, but I'm I'm glad to be here talking with you. So, what have you guys? I'm. I'm gonna gonna get filled in, I guess, by Zane here. Yeah, yeah. So, well, just just to follow up on that, it's interesting that um, Daniel, you were saying your first experience when you put it on, you immediately wanted to wanted to use your hands. So, how did the like the process for the controllers come about? And was that? It sounds like it was something that was a necessity or something that you deemed was necessary early on. Uh, but I'm just curious, maybe the development, like the thought process that what went behind that, and why didn't you include uh, other you know, the, the feet or just other, other things. And uh, yeah, I guess, so if you can maybe elaborate a little bit more on how that came about. You know, the first thing to solve and the first big problem to work through was definitely the, the HMD, right. And, and how we were going to do that um, because we knew we weren't going to use a room full of fiducial markers all over the room. And, you know, Valve had been working on, the Steam VR um, tracking system and the laser tracking and um, all of those things. And, and um, you know, we were meeting with um, um, Valve on a re very regular basis. I mean, they, our engineers were actually in their office. Um, their engineers were in our offices. We were very, very integrated in terms of how we were working together. And um, that was really, really... Uh, and a pretty amazing experience. We all knew and we all discussed um, from day one, like, okay, we need to build input. We need to have that. We know that there's an extreme value in that. You know, it was October um, 14th, uh, or, yeah, I think it was, it was about that day, you know, and we had a secret meeting with about 30 developers at the Valve offices where everything was under NDA and, we we talked to the developers about what we were doing and what we were building, and um, you know we we said we're going to do room scale VR and it's going to be the promise of VR. And we sat down for I think three days. Um, you know Joe Ludwig and uh, um, Jeremy and Chet Falzik and Augusta and. Um, you know, all of the different engineers at Valve talking about how the tracking was going to work, our team talking about how the hardware was going to work. And I think all these developers that were in the room were just like exasperated of just excitement and shock and awe of like what we were doing and, and how we were doing this in secret. And, 
you know, and, and I remember at that meeting, like everybody talking to us and some guys had hydro controllers and things like that for input and it was rough. And, um, we really, the discussion was very, very clear at that point, you know, too, that we, we need to have input, have really, really good input. Um, and so the prototyping, you know, just began of how to do the controllers. And we knew from, you know, at that point, you know, we were very, very clear that you had to have very good input. You had to, it had to be tracked as well as the headset. Um, because, you know, it had to be as accurate uh, from a, uh, you know, sub-millimeter tracking accuracy. And so those are big problems to solve. And um, So so, know, yeah. so if I could just butt in there, like, because that's a really interesting point. It, were the, did the Lighthouse tracking system come prior to knowing exactly what objects you were going to track, or was it the other way around? Was it that you guys knew that you were going to you know, have this more complicated system. And so you needed something to accommodate that. No, I think the, um, the steam VR tracking guys, um, that were working on that, they always knew that there would be multiple objects that they would want to track. We just knew that your hands and your head were the first two things that we had to get right. Got it. And, um, yeah, that was really, really important. Um, the, the tracking system that they developed was just brilliant and, um, you know, it was very robust and, uh, you know, the early days we had these, these, uh, the base stations, I think we called them, uh, Batman. Um, they were these, <laughs> they were just huge and black and these big objects and they had red, you know, uh, red lasers, infrared lasers in them and you know, these red eyes and, and they broke down all the time because they were hand built and, um, that was fun, um, fun days of keeping those things working where we all had soldering irons and glue guns and all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and we handled them with, with very delicate care and wrapping and movement. Um, but, you know, the, the, the input problem of the controller, we knew from day one. And then we really, you know, we talked to developers and we decided very, very early on that we, we told them we're going to put the headset two base stations and two controllers in the retail box. And this was like mm -hmm. a year out mm -hmm. from the commercial decision. Like we knew we were going to do that. And we made that decision not for ourselves. We made that decision for developers because mm -hmm. then we knew at that point, if, if we told developers to have confidence to build the soft, the, the, the VR experience that they truly dreamed of, whether it was, standing and movement and input interaction or if it was seated um and using it in a game pad like we gave them complete freedom to do, do what they wanted to do and we told them that they, the users would have room scale tracking the 360 degree tracking and that they would have input and so they knew right then and there that they had 100 percent adoption of 360 degree tracking and input and so they could build that experience knowing that it would one for one no, go and, with the, and it's their interesting game. because i mean that was such a brilliant idea and it, it, i mean if you were able to do it i'm sure it's one of those things i mean even to this day you see uh software come out that you know is developed for systems that aren't as capable out of the box per se um, and they aren't able to take advantage of a lot of those things, you know, all the time because because they can't guarantee that all users will have it either. Either either the the touch is there or it's not. You know, the motion controllers is there or it's not. 
or you know you're not able to have you know full 360 tracking so you have to have you know most of the enemies come from one direction or this or that or but i mean it's yeah comparing the software that is able to run on the vive compared to you know other solutions out there it's kind of i mean it's a testament i, I feel like developers must be <laughs> must be must be praying to you guys as far as just so thankful that you guys had such a fully featured product you know in box and and that you guys were were pushing it like that so early on well we kind of felt like delivering something under that would actually not be delivering on what the promise of VR would be mm -hmm. and um, it also knowing a little bit about innovators and the adoption curve and the adoption you know, uh, you know, bell curve of innovators to early adopters to um, early mass, and you know, as you get into those laggards, like this is a disruptive new technology. You're asking people to interact with digital content by putting things on their face and putting <laughs> things in their. This is fundamentally breaking, you know, any way of interacting with digital content mm -hmm. like it was before. And so when you bring a disruptive technology like that to market, you're really talking to a very innovative audience. And those are the people that are looking to have the full experience. They're not looking for the measures. And so we, you know, we did think about that not only from a, a developer standpoint, but we did think about it also from a consumer standpoint and what those early innovator consumers would want and the experience they would be demanding and that they would want to, you know, put put hard dollars down against. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, no, I think, and I, I mean, it's that's, that's a really good point because, I mean, I can say from my point of view as a, as a customer and a consumer, when I was, you know, faced with the idea of which VR headset I wanted to purchase, everything you're saying was very much, it was kind of one of those things, well, I'm either going to go all in or, or you know, n not. And looking at the options that were out there, it was clear that, that HTC was really, you know, they were all in. They knew that, you know, this, this is a, you know, a, this is, this is a, a, a new device for people that are looking for the, the top end experience. And if you're going to be shelling out as much money for a system like this as a lot of people were, um, you know, you obviously want the best and, and the Vive was that, I mean, it's, and it still is the best, you know, VR consumer VR on the market. Well, thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, I, it's, I, it's I funny think, because none of, yeah, that's, it's, it's completely true though. I, I, I mean, I agree with you hundred percent running out. I'm coming from some somewhere that didn't have as much research and as backing uh, in terms of you know my my journey with VR. But you know as soon as I as soon as I tried it uh, at your place, I was immediately looking at what VR is all about, what else is out there, and yeah, it was it was hands down um, it, it sold me on the experience. For me, it was the quality of the product. I mean, a hundred percent. Because to be quite honest, at that time frame when I was trying to decide you know, what to pre-order and all of that. Like I knew more about some of the other solutions that were out there at the time compared to the Vive kind of early on, you know, there was, there was kind of a build up to VR and all that kind of stuff. So I was familiar with some of the other products, but the more I learned about the Vive and what HTC and Valve were doing with their system, the more it was just impossible to ignore. It was even before trying it, I just looking at how it worked, how the base stations tracked and, and the type of experience that you were able to provide with room scale, I 
you know, despite the fact that it's sometimes hard to find that much space, I knew that, you know, at the very least you want the system that's most capable and then you can kind of, you know, apply it where necessary. If you have the space, great. If not, (laughs) you know, kind of do what you need to do. But, um, but yeah, yeah, like, and, and, and I, I know, I don't know if you guys have, talked about your first VR experiences a little bit, but I mean, one of the things that was crazy to me, I had my, my initial, um, entry into VR with the Oculus, uh, dev kit, the first one, uh, the DK one. And that was an amazing experience. I, I, I remember actually Titans of space as being one of the first, uh, pieces of software that just kind of blew me away. And, and most of what I, what I, I, the thing that sticks with me from that first experience was being able to turn around and feel like I was completely immersed, immersed in something, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that just necessarily that it was in front of me. It was really when I turned around and at that time they didn't have any kind of sensors. So it was just, you know, you could turn around with that system and it wouldn't lose tracking or anything like that. Um, but I thought that was amazing. And then when I got the Vive, I mean, the Vive was just a whole nother uh, being able to walk around and, and feel like you're in an environment rather than just, you know, just being able to move your head around. It was a, a revelation. And, and, and everyone that I talked to, I mean, I had people try out those early dev kits and they, were, they weren't, uh, other than me, I mean, a lot of people weren't 100% sold on, they weren't really sure how amazing VR was going to be, whatever. But then those same people, when I had them over to my apartment to try the Vive, completely different reaction, like a hundred percent different reaction. They, they coming in, they thought, Oh, it was just another VR headset. Like the one you showed me, you know, a couple years ago. Um, not, they weren't that excited to try out the new one. Right. And then they tried it and they were blown away and they couldn't believe it. And they were said, oh my gosh, this is so much different than any VR I've tried before. And, and, and like you were saying before, it's because you have, I think a big part of it was the fact that you had motion controllers. And then the other part of it was being able to move around and, and, and that being able to get over people's you know, nausea and all that kind of stuff. But, but I just wanted to, before moving on, I wanted to put that out there that it was, I mean, night and day. It was when people saw what, what, what the Vive could do, Yep. They understood that VR was here to stay. Yeah, and so actually piggybacking off of that, I, I want to fast forward a little bit to, I believe it was GDC of 2015. Is, is that where you guys first uh, made the announcement? Yeah, well, it was that week. We actually announced um, at Mobile World Congress a couple days before. It was a pretty crazy week. Uh, we actually made the announcement of the partnership of Valve and that we would be um, building a uh, developer kit um, together in VR. And, um, and then we showed it to a lot of media, and everybody was under embargo, and then we, went, uh, we got on a plane. Chet and I flew, jumped on a plane and flew from Barcelona back to San Francisco, and, um, and then we started showing uh, develop, you know, more developers openly and, and media that was going to GDC openly, um, our VR solution together. And it was kind of like a two pronged announcement and then everything just flooded, you know, I think three days into it. Yeah. That, that was actually going to be my question. What, what, what was that experience <laughs> like? I mean, I, I know it was probably one of the craziest weeks of your life, but I, if you can recall maybe some stuff that stuck out, cause, uh, it just, it, it seemed like that was a real turning point for, for, you know, where VR was going to go and what people were expecting from VR. 
Sure. I think, you know, leading up to GDC and, and Mobile World Congress was pretty crazy because you had two companies that were super excited um, to pull together um, and make this announcement. We had been working for months on messaging. We had been working for months on uh, our, um, you know, just the, 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 the content and the different demos that would be ready. Things were coming in pretty hot because if you think about it, we were, you know, we were giving dev kits to developers that were even hand built maybe a couple months before uh, wow. that, <laughs> that announcement, you know, and we were, um, so equipment was breaking down, developers were making stuff, Alchemy was working out of a garage, um, you know, Weaver was working, um, you know, some other guys were really pumping hard from the developer standpoint, we were doing you know, a couple times a week check-ins with developers that were working on content. Valve was working on the, you know, the robot repair. Um, you know, the hardware was being built. Uh, we were trying to get demo rooms set for Barcelona, and then Valve was getting ready for displaying in, in uh, San Fran. And, uh, you know, we had keynotes in Barcelona <laughs> and oh messaging gosh. and feedback. Press pre-briefings, I remember Chet, <laughs> excuse me, Chet Falzik and I were doing press pre-briefings with a huge group of, of press that were in uh, Barcelona that had no idea that we were even partnered together and building something <laughs> and revealing things to them in secret and under embargo. And just gasps of air, just shock and surprise that every time we went into a room and told somebody what we were doing, um, they were just jaw dropped, um, excited and surprised. And it was really great because we probably had over 30 companies under NDA leading into that announcement between the developers and, you know, partners that were working on supplier pieces and, and, and then Valve and HTC and nobody leaked. Uh, we were able to keep it all a secret. And, uh, we were, we kept leading up to like the announcement day thinking something's going to break, someone's going to leak, someone's going to talk, and nobody talked. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Especially nowadays. I feel uh, like that yeah. never happens. Wait, you know, we got to, uh, I remember Barcelona, though, we got there 10 days before, um, and we were, we were, it took us a long time to get two demo rooms set up uh, at that time, you know, with booths being built, and I think there was a, a booth next to our booth that had a, uh, um, the Flamingo Dancers, you know, from Spain and Barcelona, and <laughs> yeah. were, uh, they were they were so loud that they were making walls uh, that were holding base stations vibrate, and we couldn't <laughs> oh, figure no. it out. The tracking was bad, and then we figured out it was stomping next door, and so <laughs> all, all kinds of crazy fun things. Um, I, you know, guys like Doug Church, you know, not sleeping for like days on end, and I mean my own team not sleeping for days on end because we're just working to get everything. I mean, customs, you know, blocking our equipment from coming into country because, like, they opened the box and said, what in the world is all this? <laughs> so how, how did you explain that then? Uh, we just talked it through. This is a, you know, prototype virtual reality headset and this is a computer. <laughs> It'd be so fun if you were giving uh, if you were giving demos at the airport too. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was all very very uh, stressful, and uh, you know I think we were in Barcelona for ten days, and then we went to then we got on the plane and went to San Francisco. We were in San Francisco for another five days, and I think my family didn't see me at that point for probably about three or four weeks, and uh, I remember just 
getting home and being very, very happy to be home and uh, seeing seeing the people that I was working so hard for. So um, yeah, that was that was the that was the about a three week of uh, just just pumping it through. Working it is hard. Matt, after you get back from something like that and you get a chance to kind of take a breather and you know relax and get back, what's the next step? Like, where did you where did you take off from there? Well, we opened up at that point. I remember we immediately turned our focus. So, like that was a very developer focused out uh, announcement. You know, what we really didn't focus on consumer or mass media. We focused on developer media. We focused on um, talking to our news and media that would talk to the developer community. Mm-hmm. And you know, at that point, we had announced that we would be giving away you know hardware uh, to the developer community, and we opened up a registry. And I mean, that thing filled up with, I mean, it went past 25,000 before we could blink of developers that were signing up for the hardware. And we were like, holy cow, this is going to get really out of hand. And um, so we, you know, we seeded a lot of developers that we knew, you know, that Valve had really good relationships with and knew that they were just going to build amazing good stuff. And that was such a, it was so great to have, you know, Valve is not only the partner on the software side of this and the tracking, mm-hmm. but, you know, the developer relationship and being able to talk to developers in very meaningful ways, you know, from a credibility standpoint. And mm-hmm. they just, you know, HTC kind of really came in and, uh, we, you know, we had our own studio team and our own dev team and, you know, that was very experienced with the developer community and, it just became, we kind of acted like one team for about a year. Uh, we still do in many ways, but, you know, at this point, we were very much, you know, just working in each other's offices. I think I worked every Friday in their office, and wow. we would go through the list of developers, the different proposals, the different ideas. Um, we were giving away kits to all these different, you know, developers, and we spent the whole spring at that point just seeding the developers with, uh, the initial um, Vive developer kits, and um, and those things went out with controllers, two base stations, um, everything to make it work. And um, what what were you know, some of the things you were looking for when you were when you were trying to, to to find developers that you'd be interested to giving you know kits to? Well, initially it was just people that wanted to build something that had input usage and you know room scale and um, you know, it was just working with people that were really smart, like the Northway. You know, like, you know, we knew they were, they were going to build, you know, um, um, fantastic contraption, but we knew they were just really understood. This, they understood the development. They understood creating something really valuable. They understood room scale. They understood all of those things. Um, the same thing with Google. Like, we started working with them very early on. They were part of the early 30, you know, that was in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, that me guys, the cloud head guys, um, Weaver, like these were like really, really um, impactful devs that just knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we didn't like tell people what to do. We just gave it to really smart devs and said, you're going to go create something we're not going to think of anyway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then Valve, you know, and HTC at that point, like developers that wanted to share builds with us and get feedback, we would do that. I mean, Valve had open... Uh, open door policy with developers that wanted to like come work in their offices and get help. I mean, the the original Tiltbrush guys, Pat Patrick and uh, um, I always forget his name, Joe. Um, 
Um, they they spent quite a bit of time in the valve office working on the initial tilt press. Hmm. Um, and you know we we um, you know we spent a lot of time, just a lot of hands on time, trying different content pieces, giving feedback. Um, what was interesting, what wasn't. You had guys from Valve feeding back that, you know, really understood gameplay and, you know, good mechanics and making good decisions. And then every Wednesday, you know, uh, there would be um, demo days. And we would all sit in rooms um, with, and, and watch people do demos. And, you know, Chet would, in a lot of ways, host this. He, he would just kind of let somebody come out of the headset and they would just start a general question, hmm. you know, back session of, with you know, with the developers in the room of like, okay, what, you know, what did you like? What didn't you like? How, you know, what, you know, how did you feel coming out of it? You know, mm -hmm. did you, you know, it's just kind of general questions around the experience and feedback sessions for the developers. And so it really just became a very value add session and feedback session for the developer to learn how to make their experience better um, and, and what to work on. So, you know, it was, it was that process that we just worked on for quite some time. And that, you know, we just kept putting out more dev kits into the developer, you know, universe for, I don't know, about, I think we started giving them out in that in May of 2015. Mm. And then uh, we knew we had, you know, we had our new headset leading up to CES. And we, we originally said that we were going to launch in October you know, in Q4 of that year in December, and a lot of people were expecting us to do that. And we had our new headset, um, you know, our second generation developer kit, which is the Vive Pre, mm -hmm. and we had, add, we had added the front-facing camera. And if you saw on the original developer kit, there's those two holes on the front. Yeah. Those were those were originally going to be cameras, but the cameras didn't work that well. But mm. it was in the original plan mm. um, because those were to work with the chaperone system. And mm. so... In our second generation developer kit with the Vive Pre, we got the camera working um, and with the chaperone system, and it wasn't pass through. It was actually you know grabbing the imagery of the room and then processing it and overlaying that onto your virtual space. Wow! And and that was a really big problem to solve. I think Aaron over at Valve was the guy that actually helped solve that um, or did solve that. And um, so at that point, we knew that we couldn't just launch. Um, with this headset, we actually needed to get this dev kit out into developer hands because it had the new controllers. Um, it had, you know, uh, much more, you know, better ergonomics. It had better button functionality, new button functionality that the original uh, controllers did not have. Mm -hmm. And then you had like the front-facing camera and uh, the microphone added. And so there was a lot of new things for developers to incorporate um, and, and make better, you know, make their final versions of their games. So that's when we gave out, you know, announced at CES the Vive Pre and, uh, you know, decided to give those units away as well to the developer community. And then we went into Mobile World Congress and we revealed the commercial hardware, which wasn't much different from the Pre, but... It was really setting ourselves up to make sure that the content that then that launched with the commercial version, you know, we wanted that pre-unit to be pretty close on purpose so that mm -hmm. there wouldn't be many changes, you know, there wouldn't be, it was marginal changes from the pre to the commercial version for the developers. Mm. Yeah, and, and looking at, I mean, preparing a product 
for the consumer market versus just sending out dev kits? I mean, what what kind? I know I know the pre was pretty close to the final version, but what are some of the things that you that you guys had to focus on the most to get it ready for the consumer market? Between the pre and the final? Yeah, or just in general, or even it sounded like you guys had made a lot of those steps already with the pre because you wanted it pretty close. Like what were some of the, I mean, was it prettying it up or were there more fundamental like user interface things that really had to be worked out um, before it was was ready? It was really, um, there was some cosmetic things that one had to be improved and fixed, but then the other piece was um, um, really comfort and ergonomics. Like we actually decided at that point to make sure, because we couldn't get uh, the foam gasket to be final, final for everybody. We just decided, all right, we got to put two gaskets in there. We need a <laughs> wide face. We need a narrow face gasket. Um, you know, and that, at that point, we just said, yeah, let's go to um, this version because it's a little more comfortable, a little more tight, tighter, better uh, blocking out the light, you know, and, and uh, the nose gasket. We needed to make a minor improvement on that, so it just felt better. And then, you know, we started to look at, you know, okay, great. This is the commercial thing. It's ready. And even as we, you know, moved on from there, we really continued to make, you know, uh, running change improvements like the three in one cable and, um, you know, things like, you know, we'll be launching the audio head strap and, and, um, you know, thinking about how do we improve things like the weight and the product and stuff like that. But it's never, you never stop evolving it and improving it and making it better. No, yeah, absolutely. So the it, let's let's actually since you mentioned the audio strap, um, it I want to talk about the trackers because let's let's fast forward a little bit now. I know early this year, late last year, you guys mentioned the trackers. Uh, what was the what was the thought process behind that? And I I know um, I was I was actually speaking with Damon about this beforehand. I know you're a big baseball fan, and I saw the uh, the the baseball kind of sample usage that you were you've been talking about was. Was this really just a ploy to uh, to get the Mariners some some training, <laughs> some private training beforehand? Yeah, right. Um, well, I'm a, I'm originally a New York guy, so I kind of grew up. I grew up Yankees. I play with the Mariners now, but when the Yanks are in town, I don't. Uh, so um, you know, the tracker was really we knew we knew year one was really, you know, year minus one was really about developers. We knew year one was about getting it right for consumers and those early innovation, you know, adopters mm-hmm. and be sure that they had the experience that they wanted. And, and, uh, and we were servicing the consumer through an experience that was benefiting the, the developer and also to benefiting the retailer. And then we've said in year two, it's really about like looking at historical products and what took off and who won and why did they win. They won when they started thinking about the ecosystem and expanding the ecosystem. And the tracker was this brilliant solution by our engineering team in Taiwan that just said, hey, if we build this solution, which is essentially a controller without the wand piece of it that can be attached to other things, I mean, they are... They're a phenomenal engineering team in that, you know, like if I look at like when we were just doing test builds of hardware, they proto- they can prototype a hardware piece in a week and ship it back into the U.S. to, you know, Valve's offices and our offices to test it faster than sometimes 
the software developers could iterate on the software. Like wow. that's how good. That's impressive. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and I don't think there's anybody better in the world than uh, our engineering team, to be honest with you. But, um, and I don't say that for just good measure of my brand. I, 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 I've worked in other companies. I know how good they are. <laughs> um, there, when we, we, we saw a problem in that it, building tracked objects, and while we knew Valve, Valve told us very clearly from the very beginning that they were going to open up the tracking and how to do all this stuff, and we were like, yeah, that's awesome. We're going to get, that means more things will work with the headset. Great. Uh, really hard really hard it took us a year right over a year to build the vibe you know and and build the developer kits like not easy building tracked objects takes a lot of engineering takes a lot of smarts and takes R&D and that's cost that's time and so the the tracker just cuts the time it takes a, a developer team a peripheral team a software team that wants to track more objects and do more things in VR than just, you know, uh, controllers and input, and it opens it up to everybody else. You know, especially if you're a small peripheral team that's got a great idea, you want to put, like, I, the Trinity VR guys, they came to our office, they were showing us the baseball, and I was trying to hit this pro pitcher so bad, <laughs> and really, oh, my bat speed got, but, you know, they had the controller with this banana wand sticking up the other end of it swinging and I'm swinging really hard. It was really kind of uncomfortable and I was afraid that I was going to snap the controller off the bottom of the bat. Well, I mean, when we saw the track, when, we, when the engineering team showed us the tracker, I, I mean, I called Trinity right away and I was like, hey, you got to put this thing on the bottom of the bat and it's going to be amazing yeah. and it's going to be so, so much better. And you know, we just immediately started thinking about all the ways and all the things that it's going to be easier for partners to be able to get involved that will work with steam vr with the tracking and with our headset we just said this is going to open things up much faster much wider and just like you know when we went back to like 2014-15 where we were talking to a really small subset of developers we did the same thing with the tracker we called 30 developers and said hey do you want to develop something with a tracker um, to work with your experience and so on, they all gladly took this thing. And we got, I think, 13 to 15 different experiences at CES this past year. Yep. We were hoping for like two or three or four really cool ones. And we had 15. We were oh, like, okay, it, we don't... Everything we coming don't. out of CES looked amazing. Just like from from the kind of the backseat that we're, we're facing, seeing all the stuff that the trackers were able to do, is it was incredible. <laughs> And, and, you know, once we, once we did that, it, was, it just got retailers so excited because they now just had this vision of, like, a VR system on a wall, you know, and a peg, you know, pegs of filled with accessories all around the product now, things that will work with it. And so, you know, their eyes just lit up, you know, with, okay, great, you guys are thinking about this not only to like make developers excited and happy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're thinking about how to make retailers excited and happy, and then uh, thus consumers, right? I, just and, on that on that point, I don't know if you can speak to this at all, but I mean, does does HTC have any plans on on coming out with peripherals that would attach to or or are any any Valve other other partners working on you know products to attach the trackers or because that was a question I always had kind of watching it what people were messing around with at CES, you see all these really cool things and you're wondering like, you know, 
when can I buy that and how am I going to, how is that going to, you know, enter my home? So I, I didn't know if, if you guys were working on, on that side of things. Uh, we are. Uh, we're working on a lot of different, uh, we're working with external partners, we're working on our own ideas. Um, you know, we don't talk about future products that okay. we haven't yet, but... Yeah, and I'm not trying to, I wasn't even, I, that was just a curiosity I had from looking at how the trackers worked. We have, you know, we have met uh, developer teams, like we, every AAA studio has asked us for trackers. Um, we have every engineering and every medical team that we've been working with has been asking us for trackers. Mm. We barely can keep them in stock, you know, with just selling it to the developer. Um, people are coming up with body tracking, uh, body tracking software solutions. Um, there's a lot of prototyping. I feel like the trackers are where, you know, the developers were a year ago in terms of coming up with, you know, software experiences to mm-hmm. work with the Vive at launch mm-hmm. and it's just the, the ideas are getting crazy the things that it's working with I mean um, Master of Shapes I think had the uh, um, or Dot Dot Dash had the experience where you had a camera and you could take pictures in your VR experience and then print them out on a printer and then Master of Shapes had one where you could actually attach a tracker to your phone and the person looking at the screen on their phone could see what the person that was wearing the headset could look at. That's so cool. <laughs> like, I never saw that one coming. I totally expected the sword. I totally expected the gun. Uh, I expected the baseball bat. I didn't see the fireman solution. <laughs> yeah. Which seemed pretty involved, I might add. Like, that was one of the ones that I watched, and I was like, wow, that you are a fireman in that situation. <laughs> but did you actually see, like, what that experience was? Like, did you try it? No, I haven't tried it. I just saw, like, it, so, it was more than just the trackers, right? It was... Oh, my gosh. So the tracker was on the edge of, like, the what a real, you know, fire hose feels like. But there was a full um, retractable um, haptic cable. <laughs> so when you put the pressure down for the water, it actually pulled your whole body back. And if you weren't leaning in, it would pull you back on your rear end. That's crazy. And, and then the jacket, the fire, the fire coat was filled with heat. Uh, coils and so as you got closer to a fire in the VR experience and the smoke was kind of pushing your body down your jacket heated up that's so cool and so you were <laughs> you're leaning in to hold this hose with your body and while your body heats up because it feels like it's near a fire it was just amazing it was it was a brilliant idea I mean granted that was for professional firefighters and sure. you know the, um, it was a brilliant idea and, and the baseball bat was also built for professional baseball players to train against real pitchers but mm-hmm. so you have some pro use cases you know in there that might not apply to end users and i saw that where i was like oh oh ces people think we're gonna have swinging baseball bats in living rooms and but it really does show that you know the diversity of applications that vr has i, I you know uh, we were we, we talked with other developers um in the past. And I think Logan Olson was one of the first to, to kind of tell us, you know, get, there's always going to be a spot for gaming whenever a new technology comes out. Um, but it's, it's really the enterprise solutions that will be interesting to see. And, and, you know, we're in what year one, year one and a half, year two now. And, you know, stuff like this is already going to change a lot of the ways that, uh, you know, people in these other industries either train or prepare or, or even maybe uh, function at their jobs, which is, which is actually really impressive and exciting. Sure. I think, um, 
You know, I, I have a little bit of theory on this one, and I, I think it's holding true. Um, you know, since day one of working with gaming um, studios, whether it was indies or AAAs or, um, you know, startups, uh, they these are developers that really understand creating models and experiences in a 3D space and in a 360-degree space. The number of developers that really understood how to do this and do it at 90 frames per second and keep people comfortable and keep people excited and have just a experience that brings them kind of just pure joy, you know, that they want to go back in and do again. The the combination of skills that you need to have from game engine knowledge to creating experiences to just making people have fun mm-hmm. are really game developers. Now, I do think the non-game space in a few years, from an application standpoint of what people will use it for, will be bigger than the game side. But I actually do believe very, very strongly that the game side things will continue to be the innovation platform for so many of those verticals to leverage and take advantage of. And I think a lot of the innovation is going to continue for many years to come to come from the game studios and from the game side of things. I think that I'm seeing that happen today. Um, I, I know a developer team that works for a major home, uh, um, you know, a home retailer, you know, big box retailer, and they are ex call of duty, you know, game devs, and they are now teaching people how to tile a bathroom and tile floors and um, build <laughs> projects. And I'm like, that is amazing to me that a game dev team is, you know, totally teaching people now how to to do home repair. That's and amazing. Yeah, so you just kind of see like this transition, right? Immediately of really, really smart game devs, you know, and the knowledge that they have and the tools and the capabilities to create these experiences, that's what's actually, you know, going into uh, the non-game space. And, you know, I've met with, you know, rooms full of, of uh, you know, magazine partners and, you know, people are thinking about how to re- uh, how, how to bring digital content to people in VR and, you know, there's no clue where to start with this stuff. And I keep telling them, like, hey, you know, you need to talk to game studios. There are tons of them that are willing to do this work for you because, you know, they they would love to create these types of experiences, whether it's for a game or whether for, you know, uh, Time magazine. You know, it's, yeah. it's that's where the, the knowledge and the expertise is right now. Because like you said, it's it's all about the experience and, 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 and leaving, you know, with a sense of happiness and enjoyment and wanting to come back. And I feel like, you know, game developers know how to do that better than anybody. And really, you know, to some extent, all software forms are kind of like a pseudo game in a sense. <laughs> you do something and you get kind of feedback back and whether it, so that's, that's really interesting and exciting. Well, too, you just see, you just see, I've tried some experiences that were very non-game focused. And while they can be really interesting, if they don't have some level of gameplay in them to make it fun, you know, they just put that, that, that uh, uncontrolled smile on your face, mm-hmm. you're really kind of missing the point, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, take the, I take the Apollo 11 experience in my own son, and, you know, he did this experience on his own, put the headset on, he had it set up, and I was very worried that he was in Brookhaven, 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> wanted to get in there and I keep saying no. And, um, and, and but he was in there and he, you know, he, he just, he's sitting in the family room, just Indian style legs crossed. He's watching the nine millimeter video of JFK speech about going to the moon. And then he's, you know, sitting next to Neil Armstrong, you know, doing tasks in the lunar module and he's mm-hmm. landing. You know, 15 minutes later, he came out of the headset and he comes over to talk to me. He's like, hey, do you know who JFK is? And, you know, <laughs> wow. and, and do you know, uh, you know, Neil Armstrong? And, you know, do you know about the lunar landing? And, and he just kind of like started unloading the whole experience on me. And um, and I was like, wow. And I, was, I asked him flat out. I was like, hey, was that fun? Did you have fun doing that? He's like, that was the best. You know, that was so much fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. I got it. That's definitely going you can't to have continue a, to yeah. but it, you really need that gameplay in there to make it really fun and you know interesting yeah no i mean the 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 implications for you know education in general too and how immersive you can get i, I mean that's something that I'm curious to see how it'll develop. And, you know, we've already talked with developers who are doing stuff in the medical field. And it's just really fascinating to see, um, you know, how this is going to affect that side of it. And like you said, just also make it fun. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you have, you know, you have school and you have an educational system that today depends highly on, um, you know, dictation and, um, audible input, if you will, uh, where your teachers are talking and kids are expected to consume that information. Some kids have a real block, you know, when it comes to that, you know, they just can't focus that way. They can't learn that way. And, um, they're really, really smart kids. And in a lot of ways, the, the, the current methods don't apply to all the different types of learning styles. And, uh, I think the education, market has really done a nice job over the last several years opening themselves up to the exploring new methods for you know teaching kids but when i look at some kids like they are straight up you know visual learners and i feel like vr really can be that great equalizer mm-hmm. and um, that allows those kids that learn that way you know learn through visual input and experiential input as opposed to just um, audible input, uh, that this is going to be something that's going to just really open open things up and really uh, make it uh, impactful for these kids that might not be able to be successful with with traditional methods. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. I don't think it's going to replace education. I think it's going to augment it, and it's going to bring um a new um a new light to it and and some new new methods to execute it i I just can't wait for that yeah no i I agree because it's like you said it's not just visual but you know a lot of people learn by doing and with vr you can have a lot of just virtual doing in order to have people learn whatever it is they need to learn whereas before they were either if you know maybe they were only limited to visual but being able to actually use their hands and their body in a way that would allow them to to pick up you know the material or whatever it is a little bit quicker. Yep, and you look at it too from like a model. I mean, there's 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 the learn by doing, and then there's the learn there's the modeling perspective of you know mm. autism is a, something that's very near and dear and close to my heart, and uh, solving problems for this 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 area, and you know there I look at like. You know, young kids that really struggle with social interactions on a playground 
right? Like that is the most daunting thing. I have, I have met kids and I know kids that, you know, they do great in school and, um, you know, going out to the playground is, um, it, it is terrifying. And if they have a bad experience out there with their peers because they just can't navigate that, um, it unravels them for the rest of the day. And they're, they, it's like they can't even function for the rest of the day and, and do what they're there to do, which is learn. And, um, and, and so it's like, you can actually use VR for like modeling and helping kids learn how to navigate and be successful, um, in those types of social situations, man, you're just doing good things yeah. and, and that's, that's going to be helpful. Really the sky's the limit with this stuff, honestly, like looking forward. I mean, it, there's really like a, unimaginable, you know, numbers of, of possibilities. So. So, uh, Daniel, we, we want to be respectful of your time. So we just have a couple more questions uh, as we wrap up. Um, the, the first of that is, I guess, just looking forward. Uh, well, first looking back, 2016 was a, a big year for, for VR, a big year for you guys. Uh, and I would say that there were definitely a lot of, of wins um, for HTC, for the Vive. Looking to 2017, you know, what would be, you know, what would you consider a big win for 2017? Are there any goals that you can share with us? Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be something specific, but just, I guess, in, in what you're trying to do in the industry, um, you know, uh, looking forward, what, what are, what's something that you might consider a big win for 2017? I think a big win for 2017 is, is a, a show of force in that we, um, are expanding our ecosystem. Like you get to hear from us that, you know, we have, you know, Vive actually equals many things right now. It equals the technology, right? Which is the headset and the, the, the things that actually allow you to have that VR experience. Um, we have things like VIVEX, you know, and, and continuing to accelerate, you know, the different types of solutions you can do in VR um, and helping bring those things to light. We have our own Vive Studio team, which is just working with first party, second party, third party. And then we have Vive Port, which is a content distribution store. You know, we want to see all of those things be successful in thinking about the industry as a whole and how we do that. And then, you know, thinking about it from like really delivering on that promise that we started at CES of the ecosystem piece. If we're finishing up the year with multiple partners you know, that have uh, taken, taken on uh, using the, the tracker and they've brought additional solutions and enhanced the experience that you can do in VR. Um, and you'll see, you know, new, new products and new family products uh, to the portfolio uh, to work, you know, to, to uh, represent the Vive brand. Um, those are all big success points. I mean, for us in 17, it's really um, cementing ourselves from an, a, a partner level and from an ecosystem level to kind of get us kicked off for 2018 and, and beyond because, you know, 16 was really off. 17's really just cementing themselves for the future, growing the ecosystem of things that will work with five. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as we go into 18, we look at, um, you know, what the future holds from the technology standpoint. Yeah, Viveport is, is something that uh, Ronnie and I are both excited about. The sub subscription model, there's a lot of great titles on there. So uh, the ecosystem on the software side is, uh, I think, something that we're, we're really looking forward to uh, experiencing from the, the consumer end. Yeah, likewise, it's, it's nice, that, nice to see someone taking a leadership role on that front because, you know, you guys 
to a large extent, we're kind of the leaders on the hardware side, you know, for, for, you know, that initial push and then seeing you guys branch out on the software side is also like, you know, great to see and, and very exciting. So, well, you kind of hear us from the very beginning, um, all of the things that we did from even the early developer edition mm. to year one to 2016, everything you look at, like how valve interacts with developers, Mm-hmm. It's about making developers successful and making them money. Yeah. Fiveport is, is another method and another piece of the ecosystem tool for developers to be successful and to make money. The um, subscription model is another tool and avenue for developers to make money um, and, and, and a way for you know, uh, consumers to get exposed to a, you know, a lot of things and uh, for a pretty low cost barrier. And so, you know, if we make developers successful, if we grow the ecosystem and bring more, you know, partners in from a hardware standpoint, from a software standpoint, uh, we'll continue to see, you know, VR grow and, and, and get to that chasm and cross the chasm and get us to uh, that early majority where we see the, the real growth numbers go crazy. But, it, you know, we got to get there. We have to do the right things now that makes developers successful and sound. And, uh, and, and then we got to keep pushing. And then we'll get to those, that early mass. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And so actually, uh, on a related note, you guys are working on getting there. And what I wanted to ask for, for us as VR enthusiasts, for our audience, uh, who, if they don't already own a Vive, they're listening to a podcast about the HTC Vive because they, at some point, want to get one. But, you know, this is, uh, this is the group that uh, wants to support. So what can we do? What, how can we help from our end in terms of, you know, getting, getting the word out there? Obviously, I, I, I think I'm not alone in terms of having VR parties every weekend and showing it to someone new whenever I can. But, you know, from your perspective, what is it, what is something that we can do or vibe owners can do to really help create, uh, help create that ecosystem, help create, uh, you know, just the huge community that's starting to build around VR and the vibe specifically. So, you know, first and foremost, um, you know, thank you guys for having me on here today and, and just the opportunity to speak to the community. And, and, uh, and I want to say a huge thank you to the community because um, not only what you guys have done, just in, in growing the enthusiasm, growing the awareness, um, you know, I can't thank you enough. You know, I can't thank the developers that have bet big on VR and come in and built great experiences. We can't thank them enough. Um, but we're, you know, we're in a position now where we are extremely thankful for all of these guys and, and how we uh, and what they've done for us. You know, over the last couple of years and, and and this past year and continue to do. I think it's really important that we continue to show people. Um, you know, have as many parties as you can. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it is one of those things where we're we're um, we have to get past those pragmatists. So you know and you know, that might be skeptics, right? And we got to convince more people. We got to show them what the promise of VR is. And so in a lot of ways, that just takes putting the headset on and getting blown away. I do it every weekend in my house. <laughs> Somebody new experience it for the first time. Um, you know, we have programs that we're going to be building out here very soon that are for, specifically for evangelists. 
um, and to grow um, their community. And we're going to actually be announcing that pretty soon um, to, um, in, how do I put it? Um, we want to entice the community to kind of keep growing in those hotbeds and in those spots and grow the community more and further. Um, just for VR in general, like show all things VR. You don't have to just show Vive. Like we're not here to just be selfish. We we need the the ocean to raise because all ships will come up with it. Mm-hmm. And so we do want people to actually get out there and really be evangelists for VR first and foremost. And and uh, we hope that our story comes through really well with that. But it's really right now. Um, it, it's about actually just getting more people into the headset, getting more people exposed to it. Um, you know, the base of, of the, you know, the who we're talking to, who we're selling to, um, who's in the, that consumer matrix right now, they are early adopters. They are early innovators. And so um, we just got to keep growing these communities, and then it will grow into those mass markets. It will grow into the mass consumer and their understanding the value of it. Absolutely. Well, for everyone listening, you guys heard exactly what we need to do. Just keep having more and more parties. So that shouldn't, that shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Last one, yeah. last question for you, uh, Dan, before we go. You got to tell us, what's, what's the game with the top amount of hours of gameplay that you got on your personal Vive at home? Ooh, um, that's hard because my son has been playing more than me lately. So it looks <laughs> like... Looks like um, you know, I still play, I, I spend a lot of time in Google Earth. I spend a lot of time in uh, 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 Space Pirate, although I just can't. Even with like tips and help from Dirk, I just can't get it. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm at an age where there's just a younger, more uh, nimble body that just does much better in that game than I can. It's, it's one of those but, things where you feel like you're doing well and then you see everybody else's high scores and you're just like, uh, <laughs> I've been there. Um, I spent a lot of time, I still spend a ton of time in Longbow. It's just something I'm solely addicted to. Uh, I think I made it to level 38 in there and I saw that I was like still like over a thousand from like, the, you know, getting into, breaking into the top thousand list. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to break into the, the, the top 100 on that one. Um, but, you know, I spend a lot of time also in um, the gallery, you know, from Cloudhead. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. I just, those guys, Denny and the Cloudhead teams just did amazing work. Amazing, amazing work. I love just being in the experience and just admiring everything that's in it and the attention to detail. Um, they've just done such an amazing job. And if it was my son talking right now, it would be Job Simulator. He is <laughs> crushed finish the game so many times so, just, uh, yeah oh, well those those last two are obviously the the ones that came as launch titles I, I so i got my vibe when um when the gallery was the launch title and uh, i i agree with you 100 percent. there's just something about that game that transported me to an island and make me want to search for my sister and it was <laughs> yeah it's it's really incredible what they've done yeah i, I you know i mean there's games that i love um, I love, um, you know, Servios and raw data. Um, I just absolutely, I can't wait for the commercial launch of that product. Um, but those guys are done an amazing job too. A hundred percent. We actually just, uh, had them on the show, uh, last week. So we'll be hopefully posting that episode soon, but Daniel, again, thank you so much for the time. We really do appreciate it. I know our audience is very much looking forward to this and, uh, we will continue spreading the good word. 
All right, great. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye.